Hello everyone, it's Tyler from the Danganronpa After Class Podcast here. Just a quick warning before we start our premiere episode of our podcast. We are going to be talking about the prologue and the characters of Danganronpa Trigger Happy Havoc. So if you haven't played the game, please go ahead and play the game. Otherwise, spoilers ahead for this episode. We will be discussing everything in depth. So let's get right into it. Hello everybody, welcome to the Danganronpa After Class Podcast. This is a podcast where I have forced two of my best mates to play through the Danganronpa games bit by bit, and we will discuss everything and anything Danganronpa in the meantime. My name's Tyler, uh, I am the host of this podcast. I've been obsessed with this franchise for just a little bit over a year to date from recording this podcast. Um, and I will now introduce my two co-hosts. First of all, we have our first victim, Probably the most opinionated person in my life uh, brings a lot of critique and insight uh, in terms of experiences. Mr. Patrick, how are you going? Oh, uh, you know, uh, it's the end of the fucking world, so <laughs> could be better. But uh, we uh, we make the most of the time that we have by playing video games. Yeah, I mean that's that's one way to do it, I guess. Uh, have you been up to anything interesting recently? Um, between, like, I've sort of been splitting my time between playing Danganronpa and, like, playing Persona 5 outside of work and then doing my usual, like, social stuff and all the other things that I do. Um, Persona 5 R is turning out to be a pretty intriguing game and a lot better than the original, and considering how much I love that, I'm very fond of it, and I'm also really enjoying this game, Danganronpa. Playing through that is great. It's getting me all jushed on my, like... Uh, interesting crimes and criminal proceedings so yeah. you know having a fun time there exactly and is this your first exposure to the uh, visual novel style of game as well I'm guessing from what we discussed I mean like not quite I guess just because I've played through Persona 5 and Persona 4 Golden and a bit of 3 as well um, and I've like m- messed around um, with some visual novels in the past Hatofu Boyfriend and Another one that I don't quite remember the name of, and I've watched some uh, playthroughs of them on YouTube as well, but really this is the first time that I've like sat down and played one that uh, outside of like the half of Persona, which is a VN, that is so actually gripping and engaging for reasons we'll go into. But yeah, no, I guess I got like very liminal experience. Good stuff. Uh, now, we also have another victim here who's very charming with his voice and personality and who I expect is going to bring a lot of cheery goodness and good vibes to this podcast. This is my man, Jared. Jared, how are you? Not too bad, Tyler. Yourself? I'm good, man. It's good to, to hear from you. Uh, this is also your first foray into visual novel style games as well. Yeah, I haven't had a lot of experience with them, but I've played a few dating sims like Tofu Boyfriend and uh, Doki Doki Literature Club. Very sweet game, I would recommend. So you've sort of played games <laughs> similar, but you haven't really played more of the visual novel style presentation game from what it sounds like you've more just had exposure to the dating sim aspect of playing those games is that right yeah and that's a that's a good time in itself we have fun and how are you going with your danganronpa experience so far 
Uh, I'm having a good time. I had no idea what it was coming into it, but I'm really enjoying the game. It's like tickling all the right nerves. Yeah. It's tickling all the right nerves. <laughs> oh, Jesus, Jared. <laughs> it's tickling all the right nerves. Oh, that's, uh, that's uh, one way to put it, I guess. That's, uh... It's scratching that itch, you know? That's generally appropriate. Okay, so a little bit of background is about how this all came to light. Uh, we've been speaking for about, oh, I don't know, three years about doing a podcast and the topic of which has been changing back and forth for, you know, a lot of, a long time. That exact same amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> We're still not completely set. Yeah. I mean, about the same time, uh, you know, we had a lot of, we had a lot of different topics that we we're going to talk to, but, uh, recently, uh, another podcast I listened to based on Danganronpa launched and it sort of gave me the idea of, you know, these two have never played the game before. I'm obsessed with the game. Why don't I get them to play it? And we can see about, uh, what their feelings are and we can sort of do like a, a critical review as we go and you'll get insights from an experienced and two unexperienced people as to, you know, the concept of the game, what our thoughts are, how we reacted. And it should make things interesting, uh, in regards to, how we're going to sort this all out. So uh, we'll be able to have a really big chat about it um, and get different perspectives, which is always really good. So, um, you know, for those of you who don't know what Danganronpa is, I've only explained it a bunch of times, but uh, I'll explain it just overall for everyone. It's a visual novel series. Uh, It's murder mystery uh, with a lot of puzzles. Um, It's very storytelling based. So if you're looking for a lot of, you know, super innovative uh, gameplay, it's not necessarily something like that. It is mostly, you know, a really, a really good story that you get to explore, uh, throughout your own pace and throughout your own choices as well, when it comes to the relationships you build and you get really invested in characters uh, due to how good the story is. So, um, it'll make, it'll make things really interesting. If you're playing along with us, you can always go along, uh, go ahead and do so. Uh, you can go onto Steam, you can purchase the first game, uh, Trigger Happy, uh, it's always a tongue twister trying to say it, Trigger Happy Havoc, or you can buy Danganronpa 1, 2 Reload on PlayStation 4. Those are the two easiest ways to get the methods of the game. Um, but anyway, we're, we're basically just going to talk about the games now. Um, so before we start... We'll just, uh, we'll highlight a couple of things. Um, first things first is that we're going to look to record as regularly as we can, but the three of us have full-time jobs, uh, on top of other, uh, commitments and interests and social life and just pure sanity. Um, so we'll try and record as often as we can, but for now we're going to be aiming for about once every couple of weeks, whether it be two or three weeks, we're just going to try and do it as often as we can, but it's not necessarily going to be that way. Um, the second thing that I wanted to mention, um, is that, uh, we will be uploading everything to YouTube, but we're also going to be uploading to a lot of other sources as well. Um, so we're going to be distributing through Anchor FM, uh, which is a really easy way to set up your own podcast. So if you want to look into doing it yourself, uh, if you're listening to this, it's really simple. You can record through the website, although I would recommend doing your own local recording because it's better quality. Um, and you can distribute it through the, it's a really easy way to make a podcast and to make, uh, to find a way so that you're able to distribute it and start, uh, making money off it if you have those sort of aspirations. So, um, it's a really good, easy method to use it. So anchor.fm is the best place to go. Uh, so we'll be distributing it through anchor.fm. You'll also, we'll hear it. We're going to try and get it submitted to Apple podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and any other sources that we can get, the more the merrier. Um, final thing that I want to mention as well is that 
this will spoil the events of the games. We will be talking about the games in depth. So if you haven't played the game and you don't want to be spoiled, go ahead and play it and then come back and listen. Or if you want to listen to us talk about sort of the chapter before you go ahead or talk about the game a bit before you commit to the purchase, that's fine. But just this is your spoiler warning. We will be talking about the games in depth. So just keep that in there. We'll throw that out there right now. Um, if you don't have the time to play the game, there is also an animated series on this first game that you can watch on Funimation. And it's it's got everything from the game, all the major plot points. The only difference is because it's a 20 or 24 minute episode, you don't get the depth of con- or context of everything. And a lot of things are rushed compared to the game. So the best experience is the game. But if you don't have the time... You can go and watch the animation. Uh, it's Danganronpa, the animation on Funimation if you want to watch it there. I'm probably going to try and get these two to watch it as well so they can see the difference between it. Um, but we'll look at that at a later date. Obviously, it'll play out on time and stuff. Uh, so we'll go from there. All right. Trying to get me to watch more of your weeb fucking... You come into my house. You come into my house and you... Hey, man. My games and the animations total equal one Persona game. And you're trying to get me to commit to Persona for this. The entirety of three games and two animated series is equal to one Persona game. You mean, you mean (laughs) one, one, okay, okay. No. Respectfully, no. Because if I add all of that up in an approximation in my head... It's probably less. It's probably shorter than one of the games by about ten hours. Well, there you go. So shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. It's probably longer than the, one of the games by about ten hours, right? If I add it all up, and I'm gonna tell you this much: don't bother watching the fucking um, Persona animes. They're they're dog shit. Um, uh, I mean, f- apparently the one for four is decent, but don't. Um, the yeah, but this isn't a Persona podcast. This is a Danganronpa podcast, baby. And in that note, I'm not watching your fucking animes. Not now. Maybe later. <laughs> I don't commit myself to fucking anything. Because I'm a man who has commitment fears. And I don't need any of this shit. And that'll come out more than we do the podcast. Because Jesus Christ, this game asks you to make decisions. And none of them, none of them are permanent. <laughs> <laughs> you make some choices. <laughs> oh, you make some choices. And some sometimes you make them choices and you're like, oh, was that the right choice? And it turns out very quickly, no. No, that wasn't the right choice. That wasn't the efficient way to play the game. <laughs> oh, you think you made a choice? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll get into that oh, you, a little bit later. You have so much to learn. With that all clear and all done, uh, we're going to get right into the prologue of Danganronpa Trigger... Happy Havoc. I said it right that time. I didn't get a tongue twist. Alright guys, so let's dive into it. So, the prologue. Welcome to Despair. We open with a little cinematic video of a mono bear, a white and black bear, laughing at a man who's tied up in a chair, who he then sends up to space through a drill that goes through about 20 stories of a building before coming back down and smashing into the ground where he falls out as a skeleton while the bear laughs. As an intro to this game, Jared, what are your thoughts? <laughs> the first thing that happens. <laughs> the one note I wrote after after seeing that scene, the note that is the title of my notes now, was just so hype. 
This is so much hype in this game. So hype. <laughs> oh, God. Just so over the top. I'm so ready for it. Just what an introduction. I loved it. I had a similar reaction, actually. I was, I just saw that, and the, the note that I have for it is opening cutscene bangs, um, and then <laughs> love the animation, because, like, I... Uh, it reminds me of this series of, like, mini... Um, I think there were, like, a bunch of conversions on, like, sort of Japanese folklore stories and stuff that turned up on Crunchyroll, like, about two years ago or something. And all of them had that same kind of weird, like... I don't know, like, it, like it's got a film grain over it, and it's almost like it, the... the mm. um, It's like a somebody's gotten a bunch of drawings, cut them out, but it doesn't look mm. as shit as South Park, and you got the... So it's little... like cell... Are you thinking, like, cell animation style, almost? Yeah, cause... I... Yeah, I guess. Like, I guess that's what you'd call it. Um, whatever it is, I, I absolutely adore it, and I think it looks like it's just a lovely art style for the game. It is. Look, the art style is one of the best things in this game. The art style and the music are, the t- are like two of the best things about this game. And one thing that I will confirm for you now is that all of those cinematics that you get, which um, those clips, like there's no voice lines or any of them from from what I remember. Um, but from from all of those style of animations, they are 24 frames a second, just like a movie would be. Um, and they are all completely like fully animated uh, in, a, in a way so that it's, it's designed to have that sort of grainy, you know, serious dark feel, which sort of matches the sort of, you know, style of horror. Well, it's not really horror, but the you know the it's creepy, despair. scary <laughs> despair um, style mm. that they're trying to present is evident when you l- watch these sort of cutscenes, and they're littered throughout the game. Um, obviously, obviously, uh, sort of a thing for you guys, and you know, you guys are already about midway through the game at this point, or getting up, coming up towards the midway point. So you're a little bit past what we're discussing t- today, but um, that is officially meant to be the first execution style video and all the execution style videos are are filmed in the same manner which when we get to the execution for the end of the first trial you you will agree you like you can see this the similarities there and i think that it is a really unique way to present it as well when it comes down to how you view it as the player and you like jared said so hype just so hype it just (laughs) it's so over the top you just ah straight in you just get so excited. It's awesome. Um, we then open with a big background to the setting of the game, uh, which is uh, Hope's Peak Academy. Uh, the quote that I took from uh, our protagonist, Makoto Nayagi here was, it's like the school stands at the center of the entire world, a government-funded school of privilege built to raise hope in the future of society. So... The premise of this school is basically the government scouts people who are coming into high school age. So I believe that this is the way the Japanese culture works, where they've got a middle school from years. It's either uh, six to nine or seven to nine. And then 10, 11, 12 is considered high school. It's very similar to to the US as well. And you go from middle school to high school um, and you have to, and they're obviously different establishments. And in this case, the two criteria for getting into Hope Speak Academy is one, you need to be the best in your field at what you do. And two, you need to be ready to go into high school. Basically, the government picks out a class every single year based on various professions, whether it be sporting prowess, recreational activities, societal positions or status, artistic ventures or weird oddity professions, like anything, like it can be anything under the sun. But if you're the best at it, you graduate from this school, you're guaranteed success. That is the appeal of going to Hope Speak Academy. So 
I'll start with you, Patrick, as someone who, you know, works in a field of analyzing society and societal norms. What were your thoughts about, A, the way the school was presented and also the concept of the elite of the ultimate students or the super high school level students as the Japanese translation originally deems them? So, like, the um, the whole thing about the sort of weird way that uh, Danganronpa's society appears to be structured. And I'll emphasize appears, because I, I have a little bit of foreknowledge of this game's lore, just like from over the years of like watching certain people on YouTube and, pod- and gaming podcasts and stuff and having had people talk about it. Um, but I don't know much, and it's definitely not enough to put together a coherent view of the narrative, especially um, given how little the game, as it progresses, uh, really interacts with the politics of the outside world. You're focused so heavily on the on the life in the school and in the game that is happening in the school that, like, uh, it, it basically kind of cuts out the rest of you know what you would normally be able to get a lens into. But from an uh, on an initial just surface level viewing, um, it sounds like I've written here as a note a hellscape of expectation, aspiration, and general dread, like. <laughs> I could not think of a of a worse nightmare. Just imagine that you're like 15 cuz that's the age that they'd be. Is about you're about 15 and you're walking into this environment for the same age that you were in year 10. You're going into an environment of just complete um supremacy. Everybody's a relative expert and genius in one field, but only one. And then you have the protagonist, which I feel... <laughs> we'll move to Jared's thoughts on, on this sort of thing. This society sounds fucked, and it, and it gets even more fucked as more stuff gets an, established by it in later chapters. Um, particularly the more that you listen to... Uh, what's his fucking name again? Uh, Bakugan, or whatever the fuck. Bakugan. <laughs> that's it. Um, Bakugan. <laughs> <laughs> Baikuya, the one of the the rich character, effectively, you'll get two worlds collide on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! Do oh. you remember what the fucking name of the goddamn little red bastard that Drago? Like, um, Drago. <laughs> Drago. Drago. Jesus Christ! It could be Russian. My name is Dan, and I'm here with my friends Rudo, Marucho. Julie, not to mention Mr. Hotshot himself, Shun, and Alice. <laughs> Jesus God, you can you can tell I loved that shit when I was a kid. Yeah, no, oh, damn. Man. I like I I'd stopped watching Shonen by the time the Bakugan. You know, it's really on Netflix. On the, the first season of Bakugan is on Netflix. You can wa- it's you can go watch it oh, now damn. if you uh, want to. Look, it's right it's, now. Okay. it's right now, oh, yeah. right now in the middle of this. No, it's it's it, <laughs> God, it's Quick okay. Break. Look, I'll stick to my fucking like weird millennial tastes in anime being a Dragon Ball Z obsessive seems to be like much more my speed considering that I've just missed that bracket of anime um uh but yeah no the the society seems completely munted um and it's like it's so hierarchical and an interesting I mean I'm interested to see how the commentary that this is supposed to be on Japanese society evolves because to my understanding it is supposed to be like some degree of a parody on like the overwhelming expectations on high schoolers that are placed in in Japanese academia and particularly like the sort of obsessive culture that it has with 
academic perf- uh, perfection, but in this case, it kind of expands it to being like perfection in literally every area. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of my take on it, at least thus far. Uh, and I'll continue more when we introduce the protagonist. <laughs> Jared, obviously this is a, a novel concept. You don't really hear of this much in terms of setting. What happened when you saw it? Like, what were your initial reactions to, well, okay, I'm... Uh, this is the elite of the elite, the top of the field in terms of who you could get. I was very excited about the concept of ultimate students. Ultimate students. That just, very exciting. And he kept talking about the blog that he was looking at online and saying like, oh, these guys are really good at all this stuff that they're doing. And I'm just completely average. I'm so <laughs> average. I'm just an average guy, you know. I love that. And it's like, how are you supposed to know that this fucking guy's average? Oh, it's from the... It, it's supposed to be from the way that he looks, I think, at least. Um, it's like his design has nothing remarkable about it. Yeah. But that's such a, like, socially relative thing. Because if looking at him as, like, a, a fucking Westerner, like, he is pretty remarkable. He's He's... Yeah, no, no, well, like, his hair is incredibly spiky. Um, he's got a hargo, man! He's got the little, the little pointy hargo on his head! Of course he stands out! But, obviously, we, yeah, compared to everyone else there, he, he really, he really doesn't stand out when you look, uh, like, we're gonna get into some of these, ca- oh my god, some of these character designs are phenomenal. But then there's also the thing of, like, he's, he's incredibly short. He's five foot three at fifteen. For a guy, that's fucking insane in, like, yeah. you know, Australia. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, like, a, that, is a, that is a short person. That is someone who stands out. Ultimate um, short student. You know, as opposed to... Yeah, ultimate short civil. <laughs> Five foot three is about what? Five foot three is about 160 centimeters. I think I was that tall when I was 13. Yeah, same. Like, that was me at, like, you know, 10 like, or 11. For context, I'm, I'm 5'10 now mm. uh, at 178. So, like, that's just... Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it is short mm. and for someone of that age. Yeah, and but. it's it's like you know this sort of. Th- it, th- my point being, cultural rel- culturally relative. Yeah, and like a, a marker that's just like something that you won't necessarily pick up on um, as somebody who's not Japanese until you see literally everyone else, as Jared said <laughs> and Tyler said. Sorry. And I think like especially with Makoto compared to the characters that we're about to get into a little bit further down the line, and we'll we'll introduce. Makoto a little bit more formally in a moment, but I think not just his appearance, but the, but the way that he describes himself and the way that, like you said, he's five or three, he's really short for someone of his age. I think it's supposed to, it's supposed to present him as someone who is, you know, a bit, he's not as mature as some of the people that he's joining the class with, especially, you know, we'll get to Hero, but I guess he's a weird exception. But when we look at someone like, Celeste or next to Sakura or next to Mondo he doesn't look like he would be in the same age bracket as them he looks immature compared to his a lot of the people in his class aside from maybe like you know Chihiro but that's just because Chihiro is really short as well compared to everyone else so that's just something that we'll get into but yeah like we said we'll introduce Makoto a little bit and he's been accepted into the school as the ultimate lucky student Basically, the concept of this is they did a national lottery and his name was pulled out of the hat. So guess what? Lucky you. You get to, you get to come boy. to the school. You're the lucky boy, as Jared would say. Um, you know, he's, as he describes, he's he's painfully average, which led Jared. Uh, I'll lead you to 
to discuss what you wrote when you were going through Makoto's oh, yeah. introduction. Um, <laughs> I was just sitting there hearing him going over and over again, just like, and I'm just completely average. And in my notes, I'm just like, we get it. You're average. <laughs> like, say it again, please. Let me know. I need- I wasn't sure. I wrote in all caps, AVERAGE is what I wrote. AVERAGE! You know, it's just, uh, uh, there's a lot of all caps words. Like, things that stand out is what you put in all caps. And there's one coming up that Jared, that Jared actually shared to us in a chat that we're all in. That I just loved it. And it's my favourite, like, snippet that I've gotten out of everything so far. So, this is, this is, yeah... Average. He's just average. Uh, hey, did you know N- Makoto is average, guys? I just wanted to ask if you knew. From the amount that that started coming up at the beginning of the game, I thought that the, it was going to be an angle that he had self-esteem issues. Like, it as it co- as the game goes on, if that was intended to be an angle in the writing, it is dropped incredibly quickly. Well, he actually says during his introduction that he, if there was any difference between him and anyone and a normal person, he's a little bit more gung ho and carefree. So he doesn't actually see himself as like you know the standard person. Like he's a little bit more jump to the gun, you know. I guess immature when it comes to making decisions. But you know, he like he's someone that you know he'll introduce himself to someone and then get really comfortable really quick. And that's something that he actually brings up in the actual. Uh, in the game, so that's definitely something that we can use as a reference from that point. Yeah, no, that's a good point, and I suppose that kind of lends itself to, like, the whole social mechanic in the game of, like, getting to bond with the other students that you're there with, that, like, the fact that they build relationships of trust with him as quickly as they do is based around the fact that he sort of is a very social person and just can kind of make kind of go with the flow of what other people are putting down really quickly without necessarily having to be, like, pressured into it you know not to mention that he's always giving people gifts yeah yeah there's also that fact which is just <laughs> that this guy seems to have <laughs> just <laughs> this guy gifts is just throwing like me just throwing tea at celeste being like love me <laughs> <laughs> we will love get into me. that in a moment um well, as he approaches the school, he's arrived an hour early due to his over-eagerness to, you know, get to the school and start his successful three-year curriculum. Uh, he actually uh, passes out after his vision became twisted and warped. Um, and when he wakes up, he wakes up inside a classroom sitting at a desk. Uh, it's one of those old-style desks that you see, like, in, uh, in, in American classrooms where it's the desk and chair built together. Uh, we don't really get that here in in Australia, but overseas, you know, in America's, Europe's, that's something that's very common from what I hear, um, from what I could find when I was looking it up as well. Um, the windows are covered in thick steel, like plates bolted on. They're unable to be removed. There's cameras and large surveillance cameras in every single room. Um, and there's a little pamphlet on the desk, which says, uh, welcome to the start of your curriculum Starting today, this school will become your entire life. And it's written almost in like a cartoony, like almost kindergarten style style, uh, style presentation. When he leaves, he walks into, this is the, the way I describe it, is a psychedelic hallway with pinks and greens. And it's the most weird, like the weird color scheme ever. But you know what? It adds to the freakiness that comes with with every single area that you've seen so far in the game uh, and as you go on. Um 
after he realizes that he's going to be late, he walks around and you go back to the entrance hall where you were there early, except now it's not empty. The entirety of the class is there now. Uh, and, you know, one of them suggests, is, you know, I think it's Hafumi comes out and says, ah, oh, so that should make 15 people. I think that's a good cutoff point. Let's introduce ourselves and we'll be able to sort of understand who we are. They're all a little bit confused about where they are as well. And it's established, you know, this is not normal. Obviously, this is not a normal setting. Um, if you hadn't got that already, like they sort of hammer the point into you, like this is not normal. All right, this is not average. <laughs> this is yeah. not your average school. All right, this is not your average school, as you can tell by the fact that the front door is now replaced with a fucking vault door <laughs> with, with two mini guns yes. <laughs> aiming Gun at you. Cameras <laughs> with cameras. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it just really gets your perspective across. Also, this isn't your average school because there's a there is a woman standing there with long flowing white hair <laughs> who is six foot five and I just hope one day becomes real so that she can kill me. That's all I want. <laughs> I want I just want her to kill me. <laughs> that's, that's it. I need to get into the ring with her and just one punch straight through my skull. Gut, bl- blood and guts on the back of the wall. Splattered on the cage. And we'll be out of here. Perfect. Perfect. He doesn't He doesn't go for, you know, the, the gothic dress with the weirdest corkscrew ponytails you've ever seen. Or the... Big standing afro-like hair <laughs> of the guy yeah. at the back. No, I go for the six foot five ripped chick who's literally <laughs> looking over her shoulder at you half the yeah, time. Yeah, good. With scars and ripped muscles. Oh, it's yeah. and it's only working more for me that the protagonist is five foot three. Because that, the height <laughs> difference is also the power difference. It's just so dramatic. Uh, funnily enough, I actually haven't really interacted with her at all. I think I've maybe done one of her social things because I don't. I haven't got any gifts that I can give her yet. So it, it's meant that I, you know, haven't really... Because I'm an efficiency player because Persona has drilled that kind of mentality into my fucking skull. And that is the reason why I guess that game will be specifically mentioned in relationship to this one because of its, like, um, micromanaging of social situations. Um, I just don't want to engage if I don't have gifts because gifts can get the social interaction along faster so that when I get gifts for someone else, I can do that for them. That's all free time talk, though, which is a mechanic of the game that'll come up later. But yes, we meet the cast. That afro caught me straight away. <laughs> just this whole crowd of people and there's one dude that's just got a disc behind his head. <laughs> that's my man. That's who I need to talk to <laughs> right away. I love uh, our impulses. Do you want to? Do you want to <laughs> go around? Uh, do you want to go around and like? Yeah. You go off your list of. Uh, do you have notes for each of them that you've met? No, not for everyone. So, so what? We'll, what I'll do is I'll we will we will prompt every single, uh, I'll prompt every single character, describe them, um, and we'll sort of go over like first impressions. Were there? But before we do, were there any sort of like notes that you guys put down? You know, I sort of just put down the cast is here is like the main line that I put when I saw this, um, when it came to notes, uh, what, what about you guys? What did you guys say? Like write down when you saw everyone, what we all like bang. 
literally the note I have for when they are all introduced is YO THE WHITE HAIRED CHICK in all caps <laughs> just, just jam across my page with a bald fist on a pen oh I was getting mad smash vibes like everyone's here <laughs> <laughs> the cast has joined the fight <laughs> oh and then they're separate introductions every one of them they mm. get that like smash oh they yeah they get like the moment. smash like inset yeah I love that yeah. What was the that one word that I prompted before, Jared, that you wrote? I just remember you 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 sent a photo of the screen of everyone there, and you just wrote aura, because because he describes oh. that they were all giving off a distinct aura of superiority, <laughs> and you was like aura. <laughs> was oh, I don't think I had that in my term. notes, but oh, <laughs> they had the best aura. <laughs> just the whole room. <laughs> They're just staring at me as I walk in. <laughs> like, oh, jeez. My average aura like, won't compare. <laughs> you're, you're met with, like... You, you get introduced to, like, this character that's effectively Sora Light in a school uniform. <laughs> and then... He walks into a room, and it's a bunch of video game protagonists all lined up. Or, like, anime protagonists. And none of them are you. Lined- yeah, who the fuck are you, kid? Like, <laughs> shut up, go home. Like, specifically... Um, no, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll wait until we go off the fucking list of these bastards. So, obviously, we'll go through the characters one by one. I just want to get ideas of... You know, first impressions, likes and dislikes about the character from, you know, first initial aspects, including into throughout the the, char- the chapter, I guess, as well as your thoughts on their ultimate talent, um, as well as, you know, design, I guess. So the first person, I'm going from left to right for all of these situations, by the way. Mm. Um, so the first person that we have is the ultimate moral compass which is Kiyotaka Ishimaru or Taka student who strongly believes in following rules and hard work and dedication the Japanese translation is the super high school level hall monitor so he's a member of the morals committee within schools um I'll start with Jared what were your thoughts when you came across Taka and his uh and his design and personality I guess I was a bit surprised He's, like, very military, but he's also just kind of sweet. <laughs> he's like, You're late! What are you doing? It's not the right thing to do. Uh, do better next time. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> he's very formal. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Like The first introduction you get to him, everyone's talking about the weird circumstances. He's like, there is something that is more important. Makoto, your tardiness is not acceptable. I must report you, and you must accept your due punishment. <laughs> I'm just like, ah, oh. very formal, but he cares so much. Oh, we love him. <laughs> I have hated sticking the asses like that all of my life. The fact that he is also, he looks like he's in a military uniform. Like, I'm getting... For, to make this incredibly local for a minute, I'm getting mad King School vibes off him. <laughs> and so, I've named him Admiral, Admiral Stick-Up-Ass. <laughs> that is who he is referred to as in my notes, just consistently as the Admiral. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I thought he was interesting. He's, he's definitely an interesting character as much as he, like, grates on me personally because he's just so much of that energy of, like... Um, just really like that that really goody two shoes um, taking charge trying to be like drive for the right cause sort of thing someone who tries it who takes it way too seriously sort of manner 
School school captain in a in a school system that isn't like ours, where school captain goes to basically the person who runs the most efficient gang in your high school. Like it, it it's instead it's school captain in a society where like they want basically the most like weird autocratic psychopath who's just sociopath who's just like completely rules oriented and has no ability to separate themselves from that um, in that role and. How much that goes into his characterization, I really like, and how much it evolves across the game, I really like as well. But yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely interesting. He also yells a lot, so I personally, knowing me as someone who yells a lot, uh, I get along with that sort of you know being loud voice, vocalized sort of thing. I think I've been yelling a lot in this podcast so far, but you know, that's another thing for another day. Um, next up. We have Miss Toko Fukawa, the ultimate writing prodigy. She is a best-selling author at age 16. Um, she wrote a novel called So Lingers the Ocean, which, after its release, shot fishermen to being the, the hottest male profession in society within a week of the book's release. So that's uh, quite impressive. Patrick's got the fisherman look going on at the moment for what I could see with that rough beard. And who amongst us doesn't want to be a fisherman's friend, really? <laughs> this isn't dirty. This is like, this is COVID unsafe. That's how I classify this. <laughs> um, yeah, she... Initially, when she when you speak to her, she seems, you know, just a little bit nervous, but then you come to find that she's a little bit... Rude with a self-loathing complex, uh, and she seems to think and speak in a negative manner. Uh, it's a, it's definitely off-putting. Uh, what were your thoughts, Patrick, upon seeing this purple-haired girl with the sailor uniform, the long sailor dress uniform? Yeah, my note for her was just that she has self-esteem issues, just like my character. Mm. <laughs> I really like on on introduction. <laughs> I didn't like her, and it persistently annoys me as a character. Because I genuinely find that sort of, um, that kind of foil who is just a foil insofar as that they are completely insufferable, to be completely insufferable. There's like no redeeming element to a character that just constantly shits on everybody around them and on themselves. Yeah, no, I had a similar opinion. She was the last person that I spoke to in that whole (laughs) rounds of introductions, and, oh... I don't want to speak to her, ever. (laughs) She's just so anti for no reason. Just completely on the offensive as soon as you start talking to her. Uh, I really hope she's not important later on. (laughs) (laughs) You're wishing for her death. How dare you? (laughs) Very much so. (laughs) These are children you're condemning to death, Jared. Yeah, we're gonna have to just get this out of the way now. They're like, hey, this isn't your, this isn't your fucking grandpa's podcast. We wish that children die on this podcast what, because that's the part. main thing that happens here. Kids are gonna get fucking rolled, and you know <laughs> that's what? the point. Kids killing kids, a, a weird bear killing kids. Really, it's all just part of the game. No, yeah, no. I genuinely, um, I was wi- at this point, um, and throughout the first chapter, I was wishing for a death. As well. Look, yeah, look, um, I-, I will admit that. Like, she was, at the beginning of the game, I I wasn't as negative on her, but by the time you get to the end of chapter one, especially with the way that she's in the trial, just, you, no, you just, you don't, she, she doesn't have that, that 
positive vibe from the beginning, at least. Um, we need good vibes only. Yeah, good vibes only. <laughs> Mr. Good Vibe Police Jared over here. Uh, next up, we have who's going to be a centerpiece, considering that she is one of the major points of the start of this game. It's the ultimate pop sensation or the super high school level uh, pop idol. Um, oh, I should mention, by the way, Toko in the Japanese translation is the super high school level literary, literary girl. Um, so, you know, just girl who writes books. Um, the super high school level pop idol it is in the Japanese translation is Sayaka Maizono, who initially just seems to be pleasant, but a little bit shy, but she op instantly open and openly warms up to Makoto after she realizes that they went to middle school together in the past. Um, and, uh, you know, they, she seems to be very friendly in the beginning uh, which we will get into a little bit more in depth later, but, you know, she's got the stereotypical, even though she's got the standard, you know, school weird sort of school uniform with the plaid skirt and the, and the almost sailor-esque-like shirt with the, the collar and the sleeves, you know, she does sort of have that, you know, maybe B-level celebrity vibe is what I think it was when I first played it. I mean, I don't know whether you guys share that opinion. Mm. No, yeah, no, I, I, I back that, um, and just, like, I guess maybe this is worth noting, it, like, her character introduction, because she, you spend the most time with her in this chapter, um, she is a distinct, like, th this, this game takes cues from a lot of other just popular, you know, um, anime, Japanese media, manga, etc., etc., which is to be expected, but I was surprised at, um, the the batter um specifically like when they introduce him with the when Makoto's doing the research and they introduce him with that still image of him hitting the ball like the ultimate baseball star um that picture and Sakura's entire um like character arc across this across this chapter remind me very intensely of Berserk and also as a fun gift you can get the Berserker armor from Berserk and give it to somebody. It's just there as one of the gifts. Um, so that's fun. There is a lot. There is a lot of pop re pop culture references in the gifts, um, as well as some of the voice lines and the texts that you read. There's a like, and a lot of the. So we'll get into that when we get to the actual, you know, nitty gritty of chapter one a little bit later. But there is a lot of pop pop culture references there as well but we'll get there but yeah no i thought that she was really cool and it was a interesting thing because normally i don't gel with that kind of character but she came around really quickly especially when later on she talks about her dream um and that was like an oh oh my <laughs> there's a lot more to this person than i thought that there was going on here um sort of anxiety attack based things around like aspirations which is like ah yes exactly what i thought would happen to the like this level of psycho being trapped into a school yeah oh she had a lot of character i wasn't sure if like at this point in the game i had no idea what was going on i didn't know if like me speaking to her first made her a more important character but i'm now realizing like it's all set out from the get-go. And there's a lot of things pushing, saying like, oh, she's really nice. You should get to know her. It's, like, very spe spelled out for you. Look, the, the first the chapter is very hand-holdy. And yeah. when we get into the trial, we'll also talk about how the hand-holdedness of this first chapter sort of wanes on the concept of what makes this game so good. 
But as we go further down, as I mentioned to you guys as well, it's not railroady after this point that we're discussing today. And you, it, it does become, you know, you have to figure it out. And it, it's not as laid out as it seems. So it's always, it, it always plays off that way, which is good. I'm well looking forward to that. I'm going to say that, that it really did reduce the anxiety for me that they basically said that message, like the when you get the opportunity to spend time with all of these people, um, spend free time with all of these people, that they basically just like, hey, how about you hang out with her first? Because that was a really nice way of just being, of just taking a level of anxiety around making the right decision. Like, especially considering at that point, you know that someone is going to die and someone else is going to kill them. That... It takes the edge off um, needing to make the right sort of social call. Yeah, definitely. Well, one of yeah, exactly. And I will I'll confirm for you now that in that first free time event, you can't speak to anyone but her. Oh, really? She's the only like that is you can only speak to Sayaka in that first one. If you tr- if you find anyone else, they will they you can speak to them. And you'll get a little quip, but you can't do an actual initiation of free time. But with but in that first one, but for that first one, you can only speak to Sayaka. She's the only one that's available in that very first one. So moving on, we've got uh, another focal point of this chapter, uh, which we'll get onto a little bit later. Mister Leon Kuwata, the ultimate baseball star, who Patrick mentioned before, with the intense image of him smacking a ball with a bat, very red, very angry. Uh, he's a rocking bro type dude. He comes across as a very like you know, uh, bro sort of sort of person. He's got a striking appearance, very punk rock influence, uh, which is ironic due to the fact that he mentions during the, your introduction to him that. Whilst he is the ultimate baseball star, he hates baseball. He's never gone to a single practice and he wants to pursue a dream of a career in music. So, uh, what were your thoughts, Jared, upon meeting Mr. Kawada? It was very funny just seeing this man that's the ultimate baseball star and him just being completely uninterested with it. He's the only one that I didn't, like, recognize for what he does in that first, like, meeting. And something else I wrote it down about him, he causes a lot of earthquakes. <laughs> when he's speaking, he's just shouting and the whole screen just shakes. Oh, right. The, yeah. All the time. <laughs> the shaking effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that don't like baseball. <laughs> he has that very intense, like, like angry face. Like, it, oh, man, it's... Oh. <laughs> I love his aesthetic. I love the fucking shitty chin hair with the little metal clasp in it. I'll probably do that to this beard. He looks like such a fucking rat bag. And that that spoke to me on such a primal level as a rat bag who's trying to be... As a rat bag who thinks they're punk rock but isn't. Like, it's just a very much a, oh yeah, oh yeah, I want to get to know you um, sort of state of affairs. Uh, finally on this, this is, oh God, this is the, the, the most awkward one to talk about at this stage. Anyway, um, a man that Jared, I think you got this in your notes, so I'm not going to say it straight away, what you, what you nicknamed him, but it was fucking gold. Um, we have the ultimate fanfic creator, Mr. Hifumi Yamada. It comes across as kind enough, but he's a bit erratic, speaks with a slight perversion. He, uh, encourages Makoto to read his manga. Um, which I have notes here. When you, when you first speak to him, he says he wants to be, you can 
either call him Hifumi or the Alpha and the Omega, which is his, which is quite the name. On top of that, though, he describes his work as, and I capitalize this, embracing your basest urges, which just sounds wrong. Um, when you think about the his character and the way that he's presented and, you know, the work that he writes, he's... Japanese translation makes sense, which is uh, the super high school level uh, doujin author. Which is- yes, I knew it. I knew it. I saw fanfic writer, and I'm just like that guy writes doujins. That's the joke. If you <laughs> want to know what doujin is, just Google it. You'll understand the translation. It's it's not explicitly smutty. Oh um, you just find only smutty ones because it's the only reason why anybody who reads English wants to read. Them. He's the uh, he's the uh, he's the super high school level doujin oh. author. In the uh, animation, he's actually the ultimate anime writer. I think is what it's called. <laughs> Because they can't write Dojin author, because yeah. that oh, is... Yeah, yeah. It's anyway. A, it's, anyway. It's a 15-year-old who's, like, career, and oh, the my. thing that they are renowned for is writing and drawing pornography. That's his thing. Is writing and drawing not just pornography, but, like, legally dubious pornography, in the sense that it's... Dojins are what they are because they're based off um, uh, copyrighted material. That's the whole thing about them. Jared, your notes slash thoughts of your man, the cat, Hifumi. Oh, he just turns into a cat while talking to you. He's just like, oh, and I love my fan fictions. Meow. (laughs) (laughs) Upon first seeing him in the whole crowd, I was like guessing from everyone's ultimate... uh, what their ability is, and I called him the ultimate round, because <laughs> he is just such an aura on his own, <laughs> so much power coming from that corner. Literally just a ball with stubby, like really thin stubby legs. <laughs> like there is no rounder human. A little egg on the top. That's exactly what I expect every single Dojin creator who is a guy to look like. The, uh, our current, uh, our current chat image is a photo Jared (laughs) took of of a Fubi where he's pointing at his glasses. It's, oh, it's gold. Uh, Yeah, Jared, I'm guessing this is one of your favourite characters, Jared. Just, just from the initial introduction. Oh yeah, he's lovely. So funny. Uh, and he'll only take 2D. And he'll only take 2D, exactly. Which is funny, because if you look at, like, the way that the scenes transition in this game, how, which is really cool, which is where the scene, like, unfolds like a book, and everything sort of mm. pops up, and it's all, you know, even though you're moving around in a, th- in a 3D-esque, everything is 2D. Um, yeah. It's really cool. And it's actually quite yeah. ironic because he's saying he'll only date 2D, but they're all yeah. 2D in a Lucky way. Lucky for him. Everyone's 2D. Everyone well. is 2D uh, in, in this Damn. world. So, yeah. Damn, really <laughs> bakes you dink, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, next up, we've got the, the second line of people. We're, 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 we're going to try and be a little bit quicker now because we're, we're really hanging on some of these. But we want to get all the points in. But, you know, <laughs> these characters are so good. It's hard not to just talk and talk about them but i mean i i don't know like the prologue's kind of the longest part that i have like i notes on in some respects because like everything kind of speeds up after it ends well that's where you're getting all your information from is the prologue so that makes sense um you know if we have to split this up into two parts we will it's fine um 
Next up is Aoi Asahina, or Hina for short, uh, the ultimate swimming pro. Uh, she's really kind and bubbling, but she does come across as a bit of a dimwit uh, initially. Um, she awkwardly writes Makoto's name in her palm three times to remember his name. Doesn't know how to spell his first name, which is kind of awkward because Makoto makes a lot of sense phonetically. Um, the word that I wrote down for her, which was a quote from the forums that Makoto took, was um, a combination of her ability, personality, and proportions is what makes her stand out. <laughs> and it's like, so yeah. basically these forums are talking about her body, basically. They, just, yeah. Oh, she's well, I mean, so hot is basically what everyone's saying on these forums. They introduce her as the ultimate swimmy, the ultimate swimmer. And she doesn't have a swimmer's body. The first thing I thought about with that was like the ultimate swimmer. And the first thing my, I like said to myself internally, I don't know if I wrote it down. No, I just wrote the game knew what I was thinking, which is those are huge tits for a swimmer. <laughs> like that, that just doesn't strike because swimmers generally have very like slim bodies. And the first thing the game does is everybody comments on the fact that she's got huge tits for a swimmer. And I'm like, okay, well... This was clearly a conscientious design choice on the part of the creators <laughs> to, ma- to like make this character have huge tits for a swimmer. Think about it this way, though. She she uh she loves donuts, so maybe that's something that's contributed to the proportions. all of the weight just goes to her um, chest. Yeah, and 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 her hips. Um, but she's also got like she's always got like a band aid on, and she's always dressed in really short shorts. It's, yeah. She's yeah. cool. She's like one of the. She is probably my favorite character. In uh, as she just progresses and everything, but also just even off the bat, she's probably the one I like the most. And she's just fun to spend time with. She's a bit of a dimwit, which is incredibly endearing. She's very sweet, which is incredibly endearing. She's a she's like a female himbo, you know, like that same kind of archetype, like of of just like completely dimwitted but incredibly nice. And just, well, not even dim-witted, but just kind of, like, weirdly naive and sweet and a bit slow. And it's just very nice and warming to be around this person in amongst all of the shit show that is the rest of the cast. Sort of like, um, to make a Final Fantasy comparison, like, sort of like Tifa. Like, the wholesomeness of Tifa and Cloud's relationship in Final Fantasy VII. Although not necessarily the same level in terms of, like, personality, but, like, you Mm. know, the feeling you get of interacting with the character... You, is the same. Just it's, it's it's a different perspective, I guess, and a different complexity. Um, when yeah, it comes to it. I suppose my my mind goes to other characters, but yeah, I get I get I get yeah, you, ex- you, effectively yeah. It's you're the picking same up what I'm putting like, down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I get what you're putting down. Jared, what about you? Uh, yeah, she was she was a lovely girl to spend time with. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard you describe women that you've dated like that, you little. <laughs> <laughs> She was a lovely yeah. girl. Yeah, that's an ominous yeah. fucking phrase coming yeah. from you. Uh, I only date 2D. Yeah, <laughs> yeah don't you just? Jared started to become a Fumi. <laughs> it's okay. I'm. That's if, right. if I'm anyone out of all of character. this, I'm Leon, and that's even more damning. <laughs> well, we haven't got to to Super Dang and Romper two yet, but. Uh, you know, I I very much love a character from there. Which oh, I'm so excited for you guys to play that game because in my, my the in my opinion, the best character is in that game. And you know, I have the costume. You've seen it because I wore it to our Halloween party we did last year. But <laughs> the actual voice lines 
of this character. Oh my god! He is the... Oh, anyway, that, another game. We'll get to that later. Getting ready for um, that. Next up is... Uh, Jared's... <laughs> the ultimate question mark? <laughs> Miss... Oh, yeah. Kyoko yeah. Kirigiri. She doesn't give any info. She has one of the most standout... Um, sort of design choices where she's got lavender, really white lavender pink hair um, with a couple of like braid with a braid on one side she wears gloves she's got a purple jacket and a purple with a matching purple skirt with an orange tie um, she's very she she's very stoic very you know she's got that sort of like silent beauty design choice from what I would gather you know like she's like she's one of the pretty ones that you really have interest in but you know she's cold she, she's not she's not a sociable type of person it's like the the tough nut to crack i guess is the perspective you yeah. get um and yeah she gives you the cold shoulder when you ask what her ultimate talent is so you have no idea what who she is or what her talent is um jared what were your thoughts on the uh mystery i guess yeah i found that really interesting and just like there's something really to look into here the only one that's not saying what her talent is I'm like, surely that's for a reason. There's got to be something here. And, yeah, I think it comes out a little bit in the first chapter. You get to see sort of what she's about. Mm -hmm. But it's really interesting that she just won't say anything about what she's doing. Yeah. No, I agree. Do you want to take... Do you want to... Um, do you... Have you gotten to a point with her where you know what it is, Jared, or not? I sort of figured it out, but it yeah. hasn't, like, explicitly come out yet. Okay, I'm at the same point as well, where I've sort of... I think I know what it is, and it's... Mm. I think that she's the ultimate detective. Yes, like, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Because it was just, like, the aesthetic, for one thing, and then also mm. just how good she is at solving murders. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, no, that's probably your thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> the fact that you always seem to know who did this um, mm. and then have it's to help right, me, right the dumbass, the figure the out the thing things backwards. Cool, yeah. thanks. <laughs> <laughs> she's cool. I like, I like Kyoko. She's cool. Yeah, mm. She's really cool. I uh, When I was playing this game when I lived with so right now as we're recording this I am living in a, in a studio apartment on my own but about six to eight months ago I was actually playing this with my housemates at my old house and I had two housemates there and we were and basically all I do is I got one of them to sit down and play it and once a week they'd play like an hour and a half to two hours of the game but because they were a slow reader it took them a little bit longer to get through everything whereas with you guys like I understand that the game takes time but like you know one of the things that I do recommend is you know, if you're a fast reader, you're going to breeze through a lot of this. But if you, if you're not a fast reader, this game's going to take you a while because there's a lot of reading and, you know, for him, especially being someone who works in an IT department, you don't want to come home and read for two hours. Like you're just, you're sick of reading at that point. But the one, the only character he had any interest in at the beginning was Kyoko. Just, she has this, you're drawn immediately just drawn to Kyoko. You just want to go and talk to Kyoko. You want to go and, and just, you know, you want to learn more about her. And I guess that's part of the appeal of, of, her, of the way that she's presented. So uh, I would definitely stand yeah. out. If you look at her design, I think from like an aesthetic level, it differs from all of the other characters because like she has a almost like purplish colored hair. Her eyes are purple, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And most of her aesthetic is like around this purple and pink color that, isn't used in almost anyone else's design. I think the only other character that even has any of those same tones to them is Sakura. 
Toko does. Toko's like dress is purple, which is the same. True, but it's like it's almost kind of like a brownie purple. It's like darker, darker hue. Whereas like, I don't know. Yeah, no. I I just think it's like the composure sort of thing of like there's a level of subtlety in the overdoneness, if that makes sense. Yeah, and and one of the things that stands out for Kyoko as well is like. This is where you get the comparison to Sayaka that we were mentioning earlier. You know, Sayaka is very friendly, but I think when it comes to the actual model, you can tell with the way that they design some of these models that, you know, the the design of, especially the female characters, um, they're supposed to be specific stereotypes. And Sayaka is more like the, you know, the cute girl next door. And Aoi's meant to be like the super hot, sporty, sporty girl that's super friendly. And then you've got... It's sort of the perspective you get from 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 uh, Kyoko is the the really cool, very silent, you know, the one that everyone loves without even knowing sort of thing. You know, if you were in a high school setting, it's that it's you know it's that one girl that everyone knows that everyone thinks is great, everyone is has an appeal to, but at the same time, um, well, at the same time as having that appeal, you know, isn't particularly close to anyone. So that's definitely a definitely a point there all right so next up we have uh the ultimate programmer chihiro fujisaki who is a little uh she's shorter than makoto is um she comes across as nice enough but there are indications of an inferiority complex and that she's not confident and that she's very timid um and the quote that i got for her when playing the game was um a little was the little timid bunny like appearance that her online fans love um jared what 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 sort of came through yeah i didn't get a lot from her on that first meeting it was just like she's not too confident with herself but she loves her numbers and i can relate to that i love a good number or two yeah she she loves the numbers she loves the programming um she she mentions that she uh she mentions that, you know, when you, when, when you start thinking about, you know, recalling what your thoughts are in regards to who Chihiro is, she, she apologizes thinking that she's offended you and she's worried about whether you like her or not. So she seems nice, but just has absolutely no confidence whatsoever. Um, what about you, Patrick, when it came to Chihiro? Um, same kind of vibe. Uh, honestly, she like, I thought that she'd be... I don't know, like, generally speaking, I don't really like those kind of cry-baby characters because they're just kind of, like, um, mildly frustrating. But I thought that the way that it was done with her seemed like it'd be a bit more tolerable. I didn't spend much time with her over the chapter, so, like, I can't really can't really speak much to it, um, to her particularly. But, yeah, the limited amount of inf- interaction that I did have with her, she seemed all right enough. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. So, next up, we have uh, the ultimate fashionista, Junko Enoshima. Uh, really sassy, really charming. Although, Makoto does point out that uh, her photo shoots look nothing like the real deal, which she brushes off, states, you know, obviously, what we've come to expect as a societal norm. Uh, they're edited to hell and back through Photoshop. You know, they blow the eyes up, change the color to a more appealing color like blue. Um, and they, you know, they make the skin look all porcelain. Um, regardless, she's nice enough and kind initially. She's just, you know, she's got that sassy, that sassiness to her. Uh, the Japanese translation for her is the ultimate gyaru, which is a, uh, 
Japanese fashion term for school girl. It's like a schoolgirl uh, fashion uh, icon sort of thing. Yeah. I liked her. I liked her a lot. Her, like, weird shark smile, her very sharp kind of edges around the, just the drawing of her. Um, Hi! Charmed, I'm sure! And she's, like, putting up the peace sign, yeah. All of this shit, like, but she but she always looks, like, mean while she's doing it, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, no, that's cool. Um, st- all of this, like, sort of very, I don't know, I just like characters with very spike sort of, um spiky points to them and she had a lot of them um in terms of her design she's also got those massive pigtails as well like the blonde bushy massive pigtails the size of her head yeah and also just how blunt she was in the delivery of just like no man all of my photos are fucking photoshopped i don't give a shit like just getting that out there on first interaction with her was really cool because you know it just meant that she was somebody who didn't mess around and that's something to be appreciated yeah she seemed like a bit of a badass like she was just gonna get shit done for us. Mm. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. She said, yeah, "No, like I had the same hopes." <laughs> oh, I was excited to get to know her, but mm. alas, yeah, we may as well just we'll get to you that. Know, um, we'll get to yeah. that. <laughs> so next up is, and so we're aware. Obviously, before we did this, we did a Minecraft stream together, and since then. I have gotten a skin for Patrick's character for probably his favourite character. The man that Patrick loves to quote, Mr. PIECE OF SHIT HIMSELF. (laughs) The ultimate biker gang leader or the super high school level gang leader, Mondo Owada. Mr. Pompadour himself. A rough tough dude who comes across intimidating but never actually does anything initially in terms of intimidation. Apart from one thing which we'll get to during the introductions. Um, you know, he just seems to be an angry dude, but his actual quote is, name's Mondo Omwada, nice to fucking meet ya. And I just thought, yes, gangster, love it. This is awesome. Love this guy. <laughs> oh. Immediately, the fact that, like, I was immediately drawn to him in the fact that on introduction, he just says he just says that, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That's how I introduce myself to people too. <laughs> so like, there's just a bond there over. Oh, this guy just won't stop swearing. I'm yep, cool, good. I'm drawn. I'm I'm naturally uh, I naturally love him. Also, you find out that his motorcycle gang is called the Crazy Diamonds. Come on, Ooh. he has a pompadour, and he runs the Crazy Diamonds. Shine on. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love a good JoJo reference? So oh, good. Everything's yeah. a JoJo reference. Everything Truly. is a everything is a everything reference. This game is an everything reference. There's already <laughs> shit in it that I've pulled from like Dragon Ball Z as well. It's just stuff all over the place. Mm. See, I got a problem with this guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's the de facto leader of every biker gang. <laughs> How can there be one person? That's in charge of every biker gang. They wouldn't be separate gangs no, at that so point. No, the, the, the way <laughs> that it's described in the forum information is that everyone loves this guy and assimilates mm. into his gang. So he owns the biggest biker gang in Japan is the way that it's described in his eh. lore, I guess. Um, uh, not so much while he's... Everyone just thinks he's super fucking cool. And you know what? I think he's super fucking cool. I'm on Team Mondo. Fuck you for having a problem with Mondo. <laughs> like, I understand your point. Like, there's no longer gangs, but 
he is the ultimate biker gang leader, which means everyone wants to be in his gang mm. and everyone wants to be him. So that's yeah. just the way it is. And, you know, we'll get into, we'll get into Mondo a little bit later and some of the actions he does and some of the ways he comes across. And I'll also talk yeah. about the anime version. Um, I should also point out that I know Jared says that he thinks that the game version of Fafumi is funny, but the <laughs> anime version is about 10 times better because it comes up a little bit later in the game, but Hafumi becomes very ham-fisted and very forced humor a little bit later. And, oh. you know, Patrick, who's a little bit further ahead of you, can probably confirm that. But in the anime, Hafumi does have his moments where he shines in terms of comedy, which is really good. So oh, it's, it's that uh, it's that entire archetype of character who, like, their yeah. one character trait is basically just like, oh, I'm going to objectify every woman in the room. And, like, you can tell that he's... Me. Yeah, exactly. You can tell that he's that because it's the otaku character type. It's such an overused trope by this stage. Like, admittedly, this game was made like a decade ago. Um, yeah, November 2010. So mm. we're recording this in July of 2020. So we're nearly <laughs> 10 years on. And I will comment as well that there, are, there we are currently in the middle of the 10th anniversary celebration and there are a lot of announcements coming. And if anything interesting comes up during during us recording these episodes, I'll bring it up and mention it. Um, but yeah, this is it's definitely an interesting... It's definitely an interesting archetype for him but it's mm. just it's just it's very ham-fisted and it's not something yeah. that i personally like you know i understand uh, you know mm. the appeal and the jokes that you can make of him but when you're playing the game i just didn't get that feel from him but, yeah there's yeah. a point where it, it stops being like there's a point specifically later on i found out that if you have this one item you get an option basically to like spy on the girls while they're having a bath <laughs> and like there's a point in the in the where if you don't have that item for the specific moment where that becomes an option, Makoto actually does something that is quite dignified and respectable in that they say, like, no, actually, I don't want to do this because this is, like, actually kind of infringes on their, you know, um, privacy and it would be a scummy thing to do. And, like, Hifumi doesn't necessarily chew him out for it, but he's the one who, like, pitches the idea alongside uh, Monokuma. Uh, this happens, like, in chapter three or something, but still, it's a point mm. of reference for yeah, this kind of thing. It's of like chapter three, yeah. It's um. it's you shouldn't like. It's fine to like laugh and point at the horny guy who's just taking it way too far, especially if you are laughing and pointing at them, not actually then going through and be making the better option if you have that specific rare thing that you get to go and do the thing that they wanted to do anyway. Like that doesn't. You know, there's a certain level here where, like, the, the joke is that they are an anti-social shithead. Not that, well, actually, they were right in the end anyway. It, it defeats itself. And I think a lot of games fall into the trap around characters like that. Which is, uh, specifically Japanese games. Um, and also, if I if we're going to go on to the next person, um, I just while I'm on this train of thought, um, you could tell the age of this game when it introduces uh, Sakura Ogami. Who is the next person that I have on my list, the ultimate mm. martial artist, uh, a big hulking woman with shredded muscles, comes across as quite intimidating, but is actually pleasant for first interaction. She's the ultimate fighter in the Japanese translation. Um, the, the quote that I have is, 400 wins without a loss, the nickname the Ogre, is what I got. Yeah. Th the thing about the way that the game decides to introduce her... Um, is that she is notably she notably has darker skin than most of the rest of the cast, and they bother to compare her to a primate. 
Uh, which immediately just caught my eye, being like, oh, okay, that's fucked. Um, and then also say, just consistently, every time anybody talks to her, they mistake her for a man, which is like, I don't know, just rubs me the wrong way it's, now. It's, like, it's, it's, not it's a needlessly it's not transphobic. A it's not pleasant. It's not a yeah, pleasant it's, thing to do. Yeah. It's needless transphobia. Um, and, but that's you know, offset something by the fact that, that she's, just, she's just one of the sweet... Like, she's actually one of the sweethearts. She's... she's immensely popular because she's just super nice super level-headed doesn't let her anger get to her she's like a rock for the group so she's she's really she's really cool as a character she straight up owns it's just more like the way that the game decides to write like the more humorous statements around her play into like play into just like tropes that are just uncomfortable but then again it's a game from a decade ago I, Mm. I mean that doesn't this wasn't okay then but like there's a change in sensibilities in like the popular market and media that have happened yeah, since. So I'm world, like, yeah. yeah, I'm more willing to like let it slide a bit, but I still think it's worth bringing up because it just rubs me the wrong way every time it comes up, and it comes up more than just this once. Yeah, definitely, Miss Jared. Do you have anything for Sakura? Sakura is a very pretty girl. Yes, and I love her to bits. She's very <laughs> lovely. The voice actor is does a tremendous job with Sakura. Just the, the velvet, the sort of the, the velvet smooth voice. Like you can hear the sort of ex- like life experience in it. Like she yeah, sounds super mature and that's, and that's what makes her so just gives, gives up that much of, a, of appeal of her. I think. Um, aesthetically, she reminds me of a Baki character, which I think yeah. is just the best thing to be reminded to when looking at a muscle bound martial artist. So next up is, Probably the one that stood out to me the most. And that's not just because of, like, the hair or the clothes, <laughs> but also just the personality, I think. Um, and it's Miss uh, Celestia Ludenberg, the ultimate gambler, or the ultimate high roller in the Japanese translation. Uh, one of the most striking designs of all, corkscrew p- pigtails, a full gothic Lolita dress and heels combined with one silver razor claw ring on her right index finger. She comes across pleasant but forceful, and she seems dangerous. She has been given the name the Queen of Liars. And I think the thing that, that really stood out for, for me when it came to her was just... She just seems so fucking cool. Like, she's the <laughs> ultimate gambler... She's, you know, she's fitting into the stereotype. She's got this, you know, you know that she's the queen of liars and she's got this, like, trying to give off this European royalty vibe. And it's just, I don't know. It's just a very, she just seen, she just, I don't know. I was drawn to her. You know, I was, it was, she was one of the ones I was drawn to the most. Um, Just an interesting fact as well. uh, In the original PSP version of the game, the PlayStation Portable version, uh, her name w- was shortened from, it wasn't actually Celeste in shortened version, it was Celise, C-E-L-E-S, and, mm. uh, it's just, so, people who played it all the way back then, or played the original version, they, they call, you know, most people call her Celeste, but some people call her Celise, and a lot of people are like, who the fuck is Celise? But that's because that's what she was originally translated to in English, was just Celise, or, or, mm. you know, if you don't know how to pronounce it, it would be S- you know, sellers. You know, without the mm. without te on the end. Um, yeah, how it just makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense. But yeah, Jared, how did it come across you meeting uh, uh, Celestia Ludenberg at the beginning? Yeah, I'm still not convinced that she's not an android. 
<laughs> she's very assuring that she's a teenage girl going to high school, but I'm almost certain that someone built her in a lab. She was not born. I wanna, I wanna make a zero escape reference, but I also want you guys to play zero escape, so I'm not going to make the reference. So I don't wanna. Yeah, that's what I'm getting from her. Big robot vibes, and I'm excited to see. <laughs> I'm excited to see how that plays out a bit later on. She's also just very chill in all of these murder situations. I think she's just very calculating, which comes with the gambler thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the yeah. things that I've got written here, and this is from a little bit later on with with Celeste, it's actually a quote from the anime version of her, which the voice actor for Celeste in the anime version is... Oh, she does a really good job there too. But the quote I've got is, um, Adapt or perish. In the game of survival... Not the strongest nor the smartest has the advantage, rather those most willing to and able to adapt, the most pliable. And that's the message she gives across of follow the rules, be adaptable, because this is our circumstance, and if you want to flourish, you need to follow this. And, you know, she she's the one who proposes the self-enforced... Uh, you know, curfew of at nighttime. You know, she's the one who suggests that they should all stay in their room to reduce paranoia. So it's certainly, you know, she definitely, she's very calm and collected and she's very thoughtful and very precise with the way that she presents her, her arguments. And you very rarely come into a situation where she says something and someone says, no, that doesn't make sense. Like she's very on the money a lot of the time uh, when you meet her at the beginning. Yeah, she, um, I liked her immediately because, like, the thing that was going through my head about the killing game was just like, oh, you know, the thing that you would, well, the most kind of, the thing that is optimal here is to, like, basically adapt to the conditions of the game itself and, like, adapt to the conditions that mean that no one dies. It'd probably be the most, like, uh, movable way to live in this scenario and she took up that instantly which made me like her instantly as opposed to the character who I was instantly drawn to hate who effectively took the opposite um, the opposite kind of philosophy to it which is immediately antagonize literally fucking everyone um, and the, the so I think that the that their contrasting philosophies that between Celeste and Byakuya are <laughs> interesting Bayakuya. going yes cinnamon toast can reference i've i've imprinted onto you what is it by a it's byakia byakia so byakia it's it's byakia so yakia and then just put a bur at the beginning but byakia but, but when yeah. but literally the entire time that cinnamon toast can plays the first game he pronounces it byakuya and it's I'm just sure. <laughs> It just gets Bayakuya. me every time. It's hilarious. Because they say Byakuya in the trials, and he still says Byakuya, and I'm like, mother. I think, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's the same thing that, like, when I've been listening to it, I've, I swear to God, my brain has been turning it into Byakuya for some reason. I think it's because you read it more than you hear it said, but I don't know. Byakuya. Yeah, you're right. Um, anyway, the, the difference in philosophies between the two of them, I think, are very interesting for narrative perspectives, but also, like, made me just glom onto Celeste on a level of being like oh awesome you kind of see this scenario in a way that's relatable to like effectively just a it's a it's a life view that I can relate to so I'm more attached to you than some of the other characters also she just looks cool she lo she reminds me a lot of um, Yumiko Jab Jabami a name that I've literally had to look up from the um, Kakeguri 
um, compulsive gambler uh, show, um, uh, manga, etc. Just about a gambling queen who sets up all of these weird, elaborate yeah. bets with people, and basically, and I think this, this is win. what she's meant to. This is what she's meant to be influenced by. Is, 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 is if you're describing it that way. I think it's the other way around because or maybe um, the other way Kakaguri around, yeah. was written in two, started writing in 2014. Oh, okay. So well, like, it's a really similar color aesthetic too. So it's just very intriguing. Well, I think that, like, that, these characters I think that, are so close. I'll look. I think Danganronpa the animation came out in 2014. So that maybe that mm. is the case. So we'll find out. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, we got two more to go, and then we can start chugging into the the premise of the game. We're almost there, but look, <laughs> I, yeah. I understand that this is extensive, but at the same time, you can't blame us considering the level of quality of these characters um you know it's it's to be expected maybe for the for the next two games we'll do characters as their own thing rather than mm. just doing like you know yada 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 we might just do the characters before we start the story because you know the characters just oh they stand out so much um yeah i think that's a half decent idea but you really need to establish the characters considering that this game is character driven, driven that's why exactly. we're taking a while yeah. on this to like but it's important across. to do so and we're getting perspectives yeah. different perspectives from all each other as well um mm. two more to go so the next one is uh yasuhiro hagakure who has the disc appearance as jared described yeah. it earlier uh, he has one of the weirdest appearances and talents of the bunch. He's the ultimate clairvoyant or the super high school level fortune teller who is now a few years older after having been held back a few years, which seems like a long story. He seems laid back and carefree, if not a bit slow or stupid. Um, what were your thoughts of Mr. Hagakure, Mr. Patrick? <laughs> just immediately he comes out the gate with oh man you want to go get some brewskis and i'm like fuck yeah dude let's go drink and then <laughs> says that he's says that he's 21 and i'm all just yeah no cool oh no wonder i like you you're the only adult here like <laughs> the only person here is not like all teenagers are insane like, maybe you, you, you hit about 18 and it starts to, like, clear up. And, like, at 17 it clears up, like, the littlest bit. And then at 18 it just, like, you get a certain level of clarity of, like, oh, I am actually still a child. Um, and then from 18 through to, like, 30-odd, you start to develop the sense of, like, actually being an adult because these are the first years of your life where you're an adult. Anybody below 17... Like, from about 14 up, nuts. Like, genuinely insane. And you can see that in all of the rest of them. Whereas him, he's just got, like, a certain level of place about him. When fucked shit starts happening later in the game, he just immediately starts going... Like, he has a normal person's reaction, which is to basically be like, I don't believe any of this. Yeah, this is all a bit, isn't it? And then eventually <laughs> is confronted with inalienable proof that it's not a bit, and immediately freaks out. And it's like, yeah, no, that's a that's a reasonable. He's that's got a the most human, human reaction. reaction of everyone. Yeah. yeah, he's the one who says, "Oh, this is just part of the orientation process. This is yeah." This. And then he got he directly goes to Monokuma and says, "Oh, when are you gonna give up the gig, huh? Like, when are you gonna stop the joke?" And it's just like, okay, like yeah, you know, like even though we it's know it's, it's as normal as the player. Like, yeah. if we were in that situation in real life, we'd turn around and say, this is bullshit. Like, that, yeah. that is what it, he's, he's basically saying, yeah. this is bullshit, until he's given proof that it's not bullshit, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, what the fuck do I do now? He, yeah. <laughs> he's got yeah. the most realistic reaction. Where do I get my brewskis now? <laughs> he was just so chill, I love him. Mm. Oh, and he's just like, through the whole experience, like, yeah, this is fine. Like... 
It's all... It's not real, man. We're going to have a great time here. They're just messing with us. And then... Oh, the moment when he cracks, my heart broke. Mm. He's just stood in place, unable to do anything. Oh, I just want to give him a big hug. I know. My man <laughs> with the big disc hair. This is a guy that we'd be friends with in real life. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. That, that's in with all of us very quickly. <laughs> it's the only person who I could think of just hanging out with our friends group and being, like, fine out of all of these people. Maybe the other one who would... I think that maybe the other person who we'd get along with well would be Celeste? Maybe? <laughs> That'd be a weird thing with, I think like, Hina, a 15-year-old well. hanging around with a bunch of... I think Hina would get along well with everyone just because she's super bubbly and, you know, occasionally we'll make a joke and she'll miss it. And, you know, that, yeah. that sounds like a few people we know quite well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that's that's a topic for another podcast, maybe. We talk about how would we deal with these people in social settings in real life. So Yeah, no, we, we, run we run ourselves through... Um, we do an entire podcast, which is just us hypothesizing about if we forced our own friends through this fucking horrific <laughs> death game, how they'd come out. <laughs> that, that's another option as well. But look, we'll get into yeah. that. But we got one more left, and... I'm gonna, Patrick. I'm gonna give you your chance to rant in a little bit. We're gonna go to Jared first. Do it. But <laughs> we have the ultimate affluent progeny, or the Ugh. super high school level heir, or heir to a throne sort of style thing, Mister Biakia Tagami, which is you know he's a snarky rich kid, heir to his father's uh, financial conglomerate, has a personal wet, uh, sorry, a personal net worth. Of four billion US dollars at the age of sixteen, uh, he's a champ. Look at him—he's living the dream. Uh, but oh, he's yeah. completely disinterested in the conversation. Doesn't give a crap about talking to anyone. Jared, we'll go to you first because I know Jer Patrick's got some thoughts. Jared, <laughs> what were your initial take in regards to Mister Biakia? Because I can confirm. You know, initially, I was not happy with, with having to deal with someone like him. I knew there was going to be someone oh. that was an antagonist, but I did not think it was going to be someone like that because his personality is the type of person in real life that I fucking despise because it's the same <laughs> It's the person who is better than you in terms of, like, social status and they rub it in every single fucking chance they get. So what were your thoughts when you came across Mr. Tagami? Oh, he's so yucky. I don't like him very much at all. Like, even in this place where you only get in for having the best talents and just being really good at something, he got in for having money. <laughs> like, <laughs> he got in money is how you get into wealth. any other school. <laughs> yeah. Oh. He could Neither get into of any school with that for. money. Yeah. yeah. It's all that he's the ultimate well, heir. Well, it's look, 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 look. This I will just cut that point off and say... <laughs> I know it's very unlikely that either of you are going to do a, uh, like, do his free time events, willingly, anyway. <laughs> but, Gone to my as head. someone who, like, part of playing the game's full completion is doing all of the free time events, and I have, and I will confirm, he's done some work, just not what you would think, but look, we'll get into that another time. Um, I don't necessarily want to talk about everyone's free time events. We might do that separately. Um, we'll talk about the ones that you did, but we won't talk about all of them overall. But 
just in the essence of time and, you know, using that as another, you know, launching pad for another podcast. But mm. um, I think that that's a good idea to do as the final episode after we, like, wrap it. After we, we have, well, like, a, I've, a got a, I've got a bunch of stuff that we're going to do missed. once we wrap it. I've got a bunch of stuff we're going to do. So don't yeah. worry. We're not we're not just going to do an episode, a chapter, and then move on to the next one. We've got a bunch of stuff that we're going to do. I've got it all. Yeah, up. yeah. Anyway, okay, we'll cut cool, this cool. out, this part out. Yeah, yeah. But um, in terms of, you know, his, yeah, you're right. His status was how he got in. His the fact that he is the heir to a to a financial conglomerate. He's worth this much money. He goes to a school of the elite and establish, and he instantly looks for opportunities to establish that he is the most elite, that he is the most superior. Uh, Mr. Patrick, this is your chance. I'll give you a few minutes because no, no, I don't, I don't need it. I'm. I have a lot of thoughts on him from where I'm up to at the game now. Oh. That'll come when we're dealing with, like, I think when we wrap chapter two. Chapter two. Because that's when most two. of my thoughts about him are, like, really encapsulated around just... Chapter two. His, yeah. like, his actual bits as a character in the game. It okay. comes in there. All right. At this point, I have one note. Yep. And it is simply this. Guillotine Biakia. That's all. That's ever. That's what I wrote down. I, you can see it uh, right th- there. <laughs> Guillotine Biakia. And every time he speaks from this point on, I have the same note written down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I just fucking, like, immediately, I was just like, okay, so this is the guy I want dead. Good. All right. I'm glad we've established this first off. off so we've back. established that so far on the chopping block, we have Toko and Biakia uh, from these two people. These are the two people that, we you know, Patrick wants Biakia dead, Jared wants Toko dead. That's the that's the establishment we've got so far. So those are all the characters. After you do your introductions, they all ex- they all sort of go through and you know they explain they're in the same situation as Makoto. They all passed out, woke up in the school, and had no idea what was going on. And then as these conversations taking place, uh, the PA turns on and one of the monitors in the room turns on, and you hear uh, this you know almost carefree ad- voice say you know please come to the gym now for your orientation and when they get there they walk in they're all a little bit you know it looks all normal and then all of a sudden this weird white and black contrasting bear jumps up, like stuffed teddy bear jumps up sits on the podium the quote that i got from um the introduction in the anime is a, is a lot more funny than the one in the game uh he <laughs> says now i know what you're all thinking but i'm not a high-tech build a bear reject i am this school's headmaster monokuma <laughs> and i just love that i love that line it's just perfect for him but he explains that he's the headmaster the students are going to be living there for the rest of their lives and the only way that they can escape is through the graduating the graduation call uh, clause which would be if they were to murder one another by disrupting the harmony of their eternal lives together um after doing <laughs> patrick's reaction there it was golden <laughs> shock horror my uh, goodness who could have foreseen such a tragedy this- and then you know Hafumi makes a side comment of stop blabbering on about murder and then Monokuma's like blabbering blabbering stop blabbering on about blabbering on you all came here willingly and now you want to leave just before you start your life here you make no sense you're the ones that are blabbering <laughs> and you know he goes on and he and he and eventually Mondo being the hothead threatens him and says that he's gonna re- he said look if you continue this joke you're gonna go down a path you'll regret and then it's not as fun, you know. It's it's quite funny. It's like uh, 
Monokuma's like, what? With your ridiculous hair or something in the game. But it's so much funnier in the anime because he goes, what are you going to do? You're going to impale me on that pompadour? And this... (laughs) (laughs) And Mondo loses his shit, grabs Monokuma, but then a beeping happens. And after he gets told to throw him away by Kyoko, he blows up and almost, you know, blew up the students. Um, Of course, Monokuma comes back and tells them, this is your life now. Here are your... Here are your e-handbooks, which are water-resistant and can withstand pressure of up to 10 tons, and you will live here for the rest of your lives. Off you go. And that's practically the end of the prologue. And the final image we get of the prologue is everyone standing in the gym, looking at each other a little bit paranoid, uh, after Biakia asks if anyone is seriously considering their circumstances. And that is the end of the prologue. What were your thoughts over, you know, the introduction overall of the concept of the game we've it's been established the only way that you can graduate is to murder another student what what are your thoughts on that uh i knew there would be something about this game that was just not all bright and happy high school because <laughs> i had no idea what was coming up to that point i'm like ah <laughs> now we're in the game <laughs> Oh god, I I I gotta envy that response because I already knew what this series was about—that it was like a <laughs> self-contained, like, oh, okay, cool, murder mystery, uh, high school's pe- death game thing. Um, I I Monokuma is the weirdest pun that doesn't really work in English. Like, it's a pun name. It's a pun on monochrome and kuma, which means bear. Mono bear. That mono the, bear. The Japanese the, translation the, they pronounce it as mono bear, not monokuma. Mono, but they call, the mono him mono they call the him Monobear in Japanese. They call him the Monobear. <laughs> Which is literally what, what he means. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? They call him Monokuma in Japanese. Because that's where that pun makes sense. Because it's the a pun mono on bear. monochrome and Kuma. And if you... <laughs> <laughs> Jared. <laughs> Patrick <laughs> Slides. <laughs> he, he's not happy. Well... No, it's just you know what I'm not. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> anyway, um, so no, the, gra- the the graduation clause is a super ominous name. Um, mm. And I had a note here, which is uh, why is Hafumi always trying to eat his own hand when he's anxious? Because <laughs> he spends all of his time when he's anxious putting his hand inside his mouth. Um, uh, I, not I just wrote, biting his fingernails, but like it is open mouth with his hand in there. It's I actually weird. wrote that he does a lot of squealing. He does a lot of <laughs> throughout the chapter <laughs> and throughout the game. You clipped the mic. He clipped the audio so that only oh. one part of the squeal came through, and it was just. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll do it again from a distance. No, 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 that's so good. Just leave that in. <laughs> Jesus, that's fucking fantastic. Oh. But he literally oh. just goes, ah, so much. He squeals. Yeah, I know. And it's, oh, yeah, anyway. Any more notes on the prologue before we move on to chapter one? Um, I really like the theme music. I think oh, that yeah. that's just worth noting that when the theme music kicks in, I got so fucking pumped. Mm. It's got yeah. such a good ring to it. Um, the music in this game is phenomenal. And we'll get to the trial where it gets super mm. good. Um, I guess wrapping up the rest of the notes that I have here, just one more thing, is that the walking yeah. sections control like an old RPG. I guess that just yeah. kind of runs through the re- rest of the game, but I find that really interesting exactly. how they're all in first person. Definitely. Um, if you're playing, I know this is a little bit later now, and I'll probably mention this in my introduction that I'm recording outside of this. But if you're playing the game, 
change your settings so that the bobbing movement is off because it's very disorientating to have the camera bobbing up and down as you walk as if you as if you're actually walking it's it's like a slight bob and it's very disorientating so turn it off straight away the controls for a controller i, I i've been playing it on pc whilst getting like because i played it on playstation initially the controls on pc are a little bit better but like honestly you get so used to it in on a controller that it, you, you get used to it super quick. It doesn't really matter. Um, oh, yeah, no. The game controls, like, I'd, I'd say almost objectively the game controls badly. However, mm. on that note, it's very fitting. You, I can't don't, like, change you, your, you can't change your field of view while moving. Have you noticed that yeah. on a controller? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to change your field of view before moving, whereas or you on need PC, to, like, you do can. what you used... Yeah, or you need to do what you used to do in, like, Doom, where you, like, basically, you go... You, if I wanted to look to the right, instead of just turning like this, I'd have to go... <laughs> like that, do you know? Like, and then park. have to do all of your movement in this sort of weird thing where you need to pilot your... Like you're, it's you're like, like driving a rotation a tank. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah it's it's, it's like driving a tank, like yeah. the old Resident Evil game controls mm. and stuff like that. Um, but if you're if you're accustomed with playing like old, old or like specifically stylized like this RPGs, which I like sort of am, just because I keep going back and finding old shit to touch. Um, okay. then like you you get used to the control scheme really quickly, and also kind of like in the same way that Deadly Premonition is like sort of poorly made, I think yeah. it complements this, it, and how that complements that game, I think this control scheme complements this game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Any any final notes, Jared? Um, no, just that the music is such a bop. It is such a bop. I'm a big fan really of that. Good. The The soundtracks for all three games are on Spotify, so if you have Spotify oh, Premium, yeah. cool. you can listen to the entire soundtrack. I would advise finishing the game first because some of the titles for some of the later things could potentially have spoilers. I can't confirm that off the top of the cuff right now. So just <laughs> just has every character death. Name, no, 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 like, no. Like, like, <laughs> so the name, really the name of the execution can can potentially hint at who dies. Mm-hmm. So you need to like. You need to be warned about that. But for the most mm. part, you don't generally get spoiled. But anyway, the soundtrack's there if you want to listen to them. Just be warned, you could spoil yourself by mistake. And that is going to do it for this week's episode of the Danganronpa Afterclass podcast. We have just wrapped up the prologue to Danganronpa Trigger Happy Havoc. And we will pick things up next week with Chapter 1. If you have enjoyed the podcast, please let us know by tweeting us at Dang and Romper After Class Pod on Twitter, and we will see your feedback and we will refer to it on the show. But for now, I hope you have a great week, and we will see you next time. <laughs>